today, you know Jesus personally. I just encourage you to develop that relationship by talking with him. By taking a copy of his word and reading it regularly as he tells you who he is in his word and develop and grow in that personal relationship with Jesus today. Amen. Amen. If you're a part of We Praise, the Younger Children's Choir, you may be dismissed this morning. We Praise, you can be dismissed. All right. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning. We're going to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Well, ladies, for some of us, we can remember 50 years, and I have to include myself in that category this morning, that I'm old enough to know what 50 years ago was like. At least um, I was pretty young, but I do remember somewhat 50 years ago. 50 years ago this year, John F. Kennedy Jr. was assassinated in Dallas, Texas in November. You know, if that kind of gives you a little bit of a marking. And uh, some of us uh, look further back at 50 years than others. But uh, ladies, for some of us, we can look back at 50 years. And women for the last 50 years, women in our culture and in our society have been looking for, and they've been pushing for, and they've been fighting for greater influence. Women have been, for the last 50 years, trying to continue to make a mark in this culture, Uh, in a lot of arenas, in a lot of areas in our culture. Uh, They are looking for greater influence, a sense of significance. Women are not wanting to be overlooked, but rather to be counted and recognized and having value, equal value with men. That's been on the agenda here in the United States of America for the last 50-some years. Out of this uh, desire and out of this agenda has come from has come gatherings and events and rallies and agendas and organizations and books and proposed legislation and millions of dollars of money raised. My goodness, it's been a fight and it's been a struggle, something that's lasted a good part of our lives. You know, in this culture, women have gained some ground. But let me just say something that I've seen in the fight... The spirit of many women have grown weary, worn, lifeless, jaded, frustrated, soured, twisted, and even hardened. I went to Ashland Theological Seminary and graduated in 1993 and sat in many of my seminary classes with women And I'll recall and can recall a couple of women that I was regularly in class with. And they had a chip on their shoulder as great as my automobile. Underneath that chip was a wounded heart that had become so frustrated and soured that out of that souredness came a determination to do more, 
to work harder, to educate themselves, to excel, to exceed, to take the next step, to climb the ladder, to get to a place in ministry that overlooked the other men in the ministry. These women were bright. These women were the top of academia there at the seminary. Their names were always at the top of every list that you would see that was published there. But I want to tell you the saddest thing that I noticed was not the academic excellence and things, but the heart and the spirit that lied underneath. All of the striving and all of the struggling and all of the reaching and all of the clamoring, there was a, there was a jaded, a saddened, and a frustrated heart. A very sad heart. Ladies, we have to ask today, is this really the pathway to influence and significance? Is this really what God has in mind for the spirit and the heart of a woman? You see, God did create women with a great, great, great capacity for influence. How many of you in this room have ever been influenced by a woman? Every man's hand in the room should just go up. In fact, some men, you're both your hands should just go up, you know, and stay up. Women have a great capacity to influence, to influence husbands, children, the workplace, families, neighborhoods. God has placed an innate ability to influence. The question is, how? The question is, What's the avenue? What's the way? What's the God-given way that women can hit the pedal, the accelerator of influence, and go? And still, my friends, maintain a soft heart. Still maintain that gentle and quiet spirit that God prefers, that God calls us to have. To excel And to move forward, yet within our spirit and within our soul, there's a gentleness and there's a submission and there's a willingness to be yielded to God. God has created women with great influence. Look at biblically, look at Eve. The destiny of the entire human race depended upon her influence. Unfortunately, she went the wrong way. Delilah, the fall of the strongest man, came in her hands. Esther, the preservation of the Jewish people while they were in Persia was accomplished. Why? A woman with great influence, tempered by the will and the direction of God, saved a nation. Women, we have the power to save a nation. Mary, Jesus' own mother. Do you remember his first miracle? The wedding at Cana? Who was in charge of that show that day? Well, it was Jesus. He did the miracle. Open up your scripture sometime and reread the, the, the miracle of, at the wedding of Cana. How in the world did that happen? It was a little Jewish mother that said, Son, guess what you're doing today? 
You know that little phrase, whatever he says to you, do it? That was Mary's words. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. But let's get about it. We need some wine for the wedding. Mary had influence. In the early church, women provided ministry, leadership, and much of the financial underwriting for the growth of the church. If you read your church history, you'll see that. Women, we have great influence. Today, we're going to see here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, a mother with great influence. And we're going to see not only her influence, but we're going to see where it came from. Where did the power come from for her to influence? This book, 1 Samuel and 2, were written by the man whose name is at the head of this book, Samuel. And we read in Samuel the accounts of King Saul and King David, but at the beginning here we read the story of Samuel himself. Who was Samuel? Samuel was God's prophet. He was God's man for that day. And what did it mean to be God's prophet in that day? He had an office. He had an appointed place that God had chosen him for. And unfortunately for Samuel in that office, he suffered from ridicule and questioning from God's people continually. Being a prophet was risky. Not like being a prophet today. Everyone can be a prophet today. Just turn on the television this afternoon and you'll see prophet after prophet after prophet. Just go to the Christian bookstore and you'll see things and writings by prophet after prophet after prophet. In the Old Testament, in this day, it was risky to be a prophet because there were prophets and there were false prophets. And how did you know the difference? The prophets lived and the false prophets did not. If you were a prophet of God and you were speaking by the voice of God, then the culmination of what you were saying would come to pass and that would prove that you were a true prophet. If what you were predicting was not coming to pass, there was something called a stoning. So it was a very, very risky thing to say, I'm the voice piece of God. I'm the one that God is speaking through. Samuel was that man. He was a man that could hear the voice of God. He was a man who knew the direction of God. He was a man of discernment. Think through the story of David and the selection of David as king. Do you remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house that day and he was looking for the king of Israel, the one that God would choose? And Jesse had seven sons, six of whom were home and one of whom was not home. And he remember, if you go through Samuel, you'll see that he begins to speak to each different son. And at the end of the conversation, he would say, and who else, Jesse, do you have? As if to say, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. And he works through the six young men and says to Jesse, is there not another boy? And he said, well, I have David, he's out tending the sheep. So they called for him. And the voice of the Lord came to Samuel to say, that's the next king of Israel, anoint him. The prophet is the one that has the discernment. The prophet was the man who in the name of the Lord had a boldness about him. He was willing to speak God's words. Samuel certainly was that kind of man. 
Do you remember him speaking to Saul after the Amalekite conquest where God's word was to completely kill all of the Amalekites along with their livestock? And when Samuel speaks to Saul after that conquest, he says, if you've obeyed the word of the Lord, Saul, then what is that bleeding of sheep in my ears? And why didn't you obey the Lord? The man had guts. Samuel had a God-given boldness to say what God said. Samuel, God's man, God's prophet. How in the world did Samuel get to the place where he was a man that God used to influence an entire nation? How did Samuel get to that place? Was it his education? Was it his social status? Was it his family's wealth? After all, his father had two wives, and only wealthy people can do that. Is that right? One wife is enough. He had two. So was it Samuel's wealth? Was it Samuel's family history, his long line of religious people? Was it the fact that he had a strong father figure as an example or a model? I'm going to say to you this morning, that could have been so, but there was someone in his life that stood head and shoulders above everyone else. This man, Samuel, was placed on a pathway to God by a mother. Why was Samuel who he was, his mother? Why are many people in the positions that they are today and have the influence that they have today, their mother? Abraham Lincoln when asked, who was the greatest influence in your life that brought you to this place of leadership in this country at such a crucial place? He turned and he said, my mother. Mothers today have an enormous amount of influence. 1 Samuel 1, we're going to read this story together. There was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. Verse 2, he had two sons, or two wives. One was called Hannah and the other called Penanah. Penanah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. For Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downheartened? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair at the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will be ever used on his head. 
As she kept on praying, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have been drinking I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. But early the next morning they arose, and they worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home. Akana lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Who is this mother of Samuel? Her name, Hannah, meaning grace, graciousness. She's married, yet she's not alone. Can you imagine, ladies? I'm married to him, and someone else says, well, I'm married to him. Polygamy. Polygamy in Scripture was not encouraged. It was not God's design. It was against God's desire and his precedent in the Old Testament. Yet, for various reasons, men in the culture entered into polygamy. A primary reason was due to the barrenness of the first wife, which was likely the case here. So she was married, but not alone. She is without child, which in this culture is an ultimate tragedy. You see, the dreams of the husband rest on her providing a son to continue the family name and to inherit the the estate. This barrenness, no doubt, was a judgment from God. Or is it? Look at verse 5. Did you see it there when we were reading earlier? And the Lord had closed her womb. What seemed to be a condition that was brought on by Hannah was really something God was doing. He did it. He closed her womb. Let me just say, women, today, many times our disappointment is God's appointment. The thing that should seem natural, the the thing that should seem predictable, the, the thing that should seemingly happen in our lives, that should be the next step that doesn't, may be God's appointment for us, for you. So not only is she without child, but she is a tormentor. She is a woman who constantly, in verse 7, it says, year after year at the temple, out of jealousy because of Elkanah's love for Hannah, he can, she continues to torment so severe that in verse 7 it says, she would weep and she just couldn't eat. The tormenting was so severe. So what does she do? What can she do? This barrenness is unfair. This other wife is unfair. This treatment is unfair. After all, I'm a handmaiden of the Lord. What in the world can I do? This is where a woman 
can get a hold of something and make it happen. I know the spirit of a woman. I is one. The spirit of a woman can say, uh, just one moment here. I'm going to grab a hold of this situation and I have some things I can be doing right now. And I have some things that I can be saying right now. And I have every right to say them. And I have every right to do them. I'm his wife. I'm a handmaiden of the Lord. This is unfair treatment. I have some things that I'm just going to do and I'm going to work this out and let the dust fly. I'm going to rectify this thing and I'm not going to wait till tonight to do it. I'm going to handle it. We know women, don't we? We got a handle on it. We know how to. We're fixers. We're fixers. We're controllers. We can step into any situation and make it right, can't we? And the women should say, Amen. Yeah, Amen. And Hannah had every opportunity and every right to step in just like that. But what do we see? Look at verse 10. Hannah turns the pain of her heart to prayer. Hannah takes the pain and the disappointment and the ridicule and the torment and she turns it over into prayer, deep prayer, heart-wrenching prayer, pouring out her soul before God in prayer. She intercedes, she calls out, she lays before God and opens up her soul, her wounded soul. And she says, oh my God, my heart, my soul, come into this heart and soul. Meet my need, bring me a son. She laid open her heart to God. There was no confrontation with her husband. There was no gossip at the temple or in the neighborhood. There were no unkind words for the hasty priest. Hannah takes her pain to her knees. She cries out to God. Why was Hannah such a great influence on the man of God? Because she took her pain. She took her desires. She took her needs for him to her knees to her knees. This makes us women a great person of influence. Do you want to have great influence in your spheres of family and of work and of neighborhood and of career? Do you want to have the influence that God wants you to have? It's found right here. It's found right here. And that's good news. It's not found in your education. It's not found in your wisdom. And we got a lot of wisdom, ladies. I know we do. It's not found in our pedigree, our family history. It's not found in how well we can talk. It's not found in our ability to control or to manipulate. You might say, oh, Pastor Cindy, who are you talking to? Oh, who am I talking to? I know who I'm talking to. The power's not there, ladies. The power right here on our knees going to the supreme authority going to the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords the one who can do he can do what we need he can do it we can't and the people that we're trying to influence around us to do it they can't either your husband can't your children can't your family can't your boss can't 
Your teacher, your professor can't. No one can do what you need but God. And he's found on your knees. That's where we influence. That's where we influence children. That's where we influence husbands. That's where we influence bosses. That's where we influence nations and countries and communities. That's where our influence lies. On our knees. On our knees. Hannah shows us that example today. Secondly, Hannah puts her enemy in the hands of God. And she trusts Deuteronomy 32:35 that says, The Lord says, It is mine to avenge. I'll repay. What's she do with her enemy? I believe in prayer. Hannah takes her enemy and puts her in the hands of God. You, God, take care of it. You, God, take care of the torment. You, God, take care of the situation. She is yours. She belongs to you. I submit to your will. Hannah gives her son, Samuel, which means ask of the Lord, to the Lord, to be his. Later on in the chapter at age two or three, after the child is weaned, Hannah takes Samuel to the temple, not for a visit, not for summer camp, not for VBS, not for an overnighter, for his life. For his life. Can you imagine, moms, taking that three-year-old of yours, packing his bag, putting his coat on him, taking his little hand and walking him down to the church, to the temple where he's been before. Only today, you're going to walk home alone. He's staying. Because remember what Hannah's cry was, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. And so Hannah fulfills her promise and vow to the Lord. She gives Samuel to God. And it is by this woman that Samuel is brought into the world. He comes under the influence of this woman. And what does he become? He grows up in the presence of the Lord. He grows in favor with God and man. He hears and responds to the voice of God as a little boy. He speaks the word of God to the priest. He is being prepared to be the prophet of God. How did all that happen? Because of his mom and her prayerful influence in his life. Do you want to control your kids today, moms? Do you want them to get going on the right track? Even your adult kids, sometimes they're worse, aren't they? Because they're free to go out and do whatever. And you just want to be able to step into their world and turn their course. And get them to go in the right direction. You want to exert your influence. Take a lesson from Hannah today. Hannah's influence produced a prophet of God. A voice piece of God. By her being on her knees. In conclusion today. On this Mother's Day, Hannah has three things to say to us as mothers today. The first one is this. What you love and who you love speaks louder to your children than any word that you speak. It's what you love that forms your children. 
Your life and your loves set the tone and the atmosphere in your home. It's been said, finish it for me. If mama's not happy, and the, and the laughter means that's so true. Children follow mother's loves. What mothers love, children love. It has more of an effect on your life what you love than what you say to your children. You see, it's not the wisdom of your words, although they are wise. It's not your duty to do what's good and right. Children know what their mothers love and who their mother is. And that's what you're giving to your child. This is at the heart of your influence. Number two, where you turn when your heart is broken influences your child. The Lord is the one to turn to when your heart is disappointed. That's not only a blessing for your children, but that's a blessing for you. Because I want to say, ladies, it's at this point where your heart can stay soft or your heart can become hard. If you turn to prayer in disappointment, your heart will stay soft. If you turn to other directions when your heart is broken, your heart can become hard. This also shows your children where they will go when they have disappointments. As a lot of you know, I grew up in a home where my parents were divorced when I was a teenager. One of the things, and I've said this to my mother before, one of the things that is a a huge imprint on my life, we all have those imprints, those memories, those things that will stay with us no matter what. One of the biggest imprints on my life was walking down the hallway of our two-story townhome and finding my mother's door closed. And hearing her voice in prayer. And in her praying, she was saying, Oh God, be with my children. Keep my children. Love my children. Be a father to my children. I am 53 years old. That happened almost 40 years ago. I can feel that and remember that in my soul just like it was yesterday. Why? Because my mother took her disappointment to prayer. That kept her heart soft. That makes my heart soft today. Ladies, don't fight the battle. Fight the battle. Fight the battle. It'll do your heart good. You're setting an example for your children. Your heart will stay soft. And third, put your children in God's hands, no matter how old they are. For Hannah, Samuel was three. You might need to do it. Your child might be 33 or 43 or 53. It's easier either to do one of two things. It's easier to either write them off, neglect them, turn the other way, or 
manipulate them and try to control them. In fact, we have this term out there now called helicopter parents. Have you heard that? Parents just, moms especially, can't, can't make the break, can't pull away. And your child might be 10 or 20 or 30 or 40. You can be a helicopter parent for any child at any age. In fact, maybe some of you adults are looking up right now going, there they are. Put your children in the hands of God. Now, Hannah was not back at the temple every day. Oh, I got to go check on him. Hope he's doing okay. If you read the culture and read what's going on in the temple, what's going on in the priesthood in that day, if you know the name Eli, if you know the names of his sons, the atmosphere into which she was placing that little boy wasn't a good one. She was putting her, the, the hands of her little boy into the hands of a very spiritually weak priest to say nothing of his sons. But you know what? Hannah wasn't putting the hand of her son into the hand of a spiritually weak priest or his son. She was putting his hand in the hand of God. So no matter what the culture is, ladies, no mothers, fathers, no matter what the situation is, the school climate, the neighborhood climate, the family climate, no matter what the climate is, you're not putting them in the climate. You're putting them in the hands of God. Put them in His hands. Cut the cord. Fly away. If they're in God's hands, are your hands any better? Just a rhetorical question there. As we close, ladies, moms, you have great influence. You do. You have, you do, and you will have influence. We are wired that way. question is, how are you using it? I encourage you today, consider using your knees. They're the greatest place of influence that you have. You'll see God do great things through your life and your mothering. When you follow Hannah's example, influence from your knees. Let's pray.